Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to this week's episode of Steam Cleaners, the podcast in which my lovely co-host and I talk about two games we have been playing over the last two weeks. Kinda. Mostly. Mostly games that we've played in just the last two weeks. Always a new game every episode, uh, and breaking down our thoughts and feels on how they all break down. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Walter C. Svechuk. Walter, how you doing, man? I'm I'm doing wonderfully. It is uh, we are we are a little bit out of sorts today, so we are recording on a Saturday afternoon slash morning on the West Coast uh, instead of our normal Thursday evening. I am currently uh, on vacation, a little staycation uh, here in in lovely Rochester, New York. Um, but yeah, I I had a very lovely uh, day out on our boat yesterday. I actually docked it for I think the first or second time ever. So that was really fun. And then when we're done recording, uh, I'm going to be headed to the uh, 50th Rochester Ukrainian Festival uh, to eat my fill of, uh, uh, of Polish sausage and pierogies and holipchi and sauerkraut and watch a little bit of Ukrainian dancing. So it's been a very good weekend here uh, in the uh, Rochester Rough Draft studio. Yeah, I mean, that sounds delightful. I, I feel like uh, some good old uh, uh, sausage, sauerkraut, pierogies, wombo combos. That's a lot of really tasty food in a short period of time that I think should treat you nicely. It this is, is one you've been to before, right? Like this is a, a standing tradition for you and your, your family? Yes. Yeah, so my, uh, my dad's parents and, and his sister came over from, uh, from Ukraine. And actually, I think my aunt was born in Germany um, in like 47 or 48, pretty much right after World War II. Um, and this is, I, you know, when I was younger, I did culture, you know, Ukrainian cultural dance, um, when I was like in elementary school and before we moved to Colorado. So this is a, this is a very important tradition for my family and, uh, you know, everything because of COVID the last couple of years, they haven't had the festival. They instead did like a, a drive through where you could come and, and pick up the, you know, the same food that we're going to be eating this evening. Um, so it's really nice. It's the 50th anniversary of it happening. So they promised it was going to be, you know, this big blowout and, you know, just with everything that's still going on over there in Ukraine, um, it feels like it'll be, uh, while it'll be solemn, it does feel like it'll probably be a somewhat kind of celebratory and joyful, uh, event, you know, about the resiliency of Ukrainian people and that, you know, all that. So I'm really, really excited to go. This is definitely one of the highlights of my year when it's going on. Uh, but Chase, what about you? What have, what have you been up to? Oh, well, so then, you know, I'll just say this at the top because this is not the game I'm going to talk about this week. Uh, I've been playing a lot of Fire Emblem Three Hopes still. I'm on the last run. Uh, I have moved on to the Golden Deer. And I got to say, I was not expecting Claude to name himself King. The guy who has previously been the leader of the one democratic force in the uh, land of Fodlan has said, well, fuck that. We're always on the back end because we have to, like, debate things while this war is going on. So our opponents just act and we end up uh, always having to react. And that's not how you win a war. So I'm king now and I'm going to remake everything in my image the way that I he frankly just did not do in three houses. This is the most different between games that I have seen. Like three hopes, blue lions and, and black Eagles were both very similar to three houses 
in the broader strokes. They they had a different focus. They were much more focused in Three Hopes on those who slither in the dark than on the kind of uh, war angle of it. Um, but this one, those who slither in the dark, who were a big part of the Golden Deer run in Three Houses, not even a thing in Three Hopes, at least as far as I am. And I'm well past the halfway point. And Claude's king. And we've got all these interesting philosophical conversations on what it means to rule and whether the ends justify the means in uh, war and, and whether the ends really uh, or whether the means really matter when the end result is that war is killing a whole bunch of people and it's always going to suck. So maybe you just end it as quickly as you can. General Sherman sure thought so. Um, it's a fascinating thing. And if none of that made any sense to you, go listen to the Three Hopes episode from a couple weeks back. Um, because I uh, gushed about that game there. And that's just kind of a, a quick update uh, for those of you who uh, listen to the pod on a regular basis. But Walter, I, wait, wait, this wait, is wait. not a... Wait, oh. I have a very important question for you. Yes, please. Do you have any characters on your side named Brutus? I have a Balthus. I would be afraid that he is going to stab you in the back. Mm, it's fair, though honestly, he's more likely to be stabbed in the back by the many debt collectors after his ass, because he does nothing but gamble and drink and uh, and, and whatever I'm, else. I'm but just hey. saying, I'm just saying, A2 Balthus. A2 Balthus? <laughs> Get that on a mug, please. I would absolutely <laughs> buy that. But you know, Walter, this is not a Three Hopes podcast. This is not a Ukrainian appreciation podcast, though. Shout out to Ukraine. Uh, no, this is a podcast in which we talk about some games that we've been playing. And while I'm going to fudge things a little bit because I have been so uh, deep into the Three Hopes dive, I believe you have a game for us that you actually have played over these last two weeks. Uh, so, Walter, what have you been up to? Well, played over the last two weeks is doing a hell of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know if you guys remember, but from the, the last episode when I talked about Minecraft, I mentioned that I actually had another game that I had been playing, but Minecraft sort of like grabbed my attention and subverted it. Um, and, and that's that's Hard Space Shipbreaker. And, you know, part of the reason why I talked about Minecraft and then why I then talked about Divinity 2 is that I played about four to five hours of this game prior to playing Minecraft, and I was enjoying it. Uh, it is what uh, Benjamin Yotzi Kroshaw would call a dad game. You know, one of those power wash simulator, lawnmower simulator, house flipper type, you know, just like you're given a task and you just work on the task and so on and so forth. Um, so I played about four to five hours, then Minecraft grabbed a hold of me, and I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to play Minecraft and I'll, I'll come back to this. And then before last, you know, two week ago episode, I tried to get back into it and I played it for like another hour. And I was just like, I'm not feeling it today. When it was, you know, the, the couple of days I tried to play it, I was just, you know what? I'm really not feeling playing it today. So then I talked about Divinity 2. And then for this episode, I was like, all right, I'm really going to try. I, I, I really want to put a couple more hours into this thing. And every time I opened it and I started playing it, I only lasted like 15 minutes. And then I was like, I want to do something else. And it's not to say that I don't like the game, but something about the like gameplay loop kind of broke in me. And I just, 
I couldn't force myself to play it anymore. Um, and that leaves me with nothing else to talk about <laughs> other than Hard Space Shipbreaker uh, today. So just a very quick... I want to say real quick, uh, you mentioned that this is a game that uh, Yahtzee Croshaw would call a dad game. Uh, I want to correct the record. He did call it a dad game. He has reviewed the game and he used that exact phrase. So you nailed it there. Uh, but yeah, you, it's so yeah. What, tell me, what, what, is, what is the uh, focus of the game and what about it works? Because you did say there were some positives here. So, so really simply, you are a shipbreaker, uh, hence the, the name of the game. And basically a shipbreaker, you are given an old, you know, ship and your job is to break it apart. There we go. We're done with the podcast. We've talked about everything. Uh, no, you're supposed <laughs> to, to take pieces off of it and salvage them. And you have, you know, uh, three different areas that basically the pieces can go. You have a furnace where it gets, you know, melted down or destroyed or whatever. You have a, another, like, processor um, that, again, I'm going to assume breaks it down and, and, you know, turns it into, you know, just raw materials. And then you have, like, a barge that's to collect, you know, the, the important items. Um, the chair, the engine, uh, fuel tanks, things like that. And the game is very good, and it tells you exactly where you're supposed to put, at least on the, the difficulty setting and the way I played it, tells you exactly where those items are supposed to go. Aluminum is supposed to go in the furnace. The nano uh, nanocarbon is supposed to go into the processor. The fuel tanks, the engine, the seat are supposed to go onto the barge. And the, 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 the plot of all of this is that basically you have signed on to onto this um this company uh the lynx corporation uh and this is your job you know you're 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 employed to do this but because of you know the training because of your habitat because of this very fun system that they've created where basically you never fucking die if you die they just take your memories put it into a clone of you essentially and boom now you're you know you're you can go back to work you are like trillions quadrillions of dollars in debt and your job is to you know pay off your debt and the thing is like every day that you live in the habitat you're getting charged rent which is exceed you know extremely expensive and you need to pay for your tools and your gas and you know the fuel for your thrusters and you need to pay for your uh, your oxygen because oh by the way uh, you're doing this in like a dry dock of sorts literally in space you have to wear a spacesuit to do all of this um so it's very, very straightforward. Outside of that plot-wise, I don't know a whole lot because I only played like seven hours of the game and not a lot of the plot has uh, has divulged itself to me at this point. Um, the, the plot and the story is kind of given to you by you you work with you know you have like a trainer that's like the foreman of this you know sector of space and these you know few stations that are doing this in this area uh, and then there's some other characters that you all talk to over a radio because you live by yourself in this habitat it's not like there's a central habitat and you know you all like interact and live together you're basically just talking you know they're talking to you through a radio or they'll send you an email or something like that so you are in you know in essence alone by yourself in this little you know orbital space station dry dock um and yeah your job is to cut apart the ships that you are given 
put the raw materials or the materials into the right spot and then you're given money for those things and the ultimate goal is to pay down your debt i'm guessing that's about as far as i got yeah so i mean it does seem like this is a game that very much is focused on the kind of immersive world building angles of it right you're you're getting the environmental storytelling through the pieces of lore that you are given that are meant to kind of uh, direct you to these larger implications. Like, from my understanding, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, civil unrest, climate change, food shortages, things that none of us here can relate to, but I'm sure in the future will be significant problems. Um, but it, it does seem to be, you know, uh, the kind of game that, that really delivers this stuff slowly but surely to kind of focus on the i guess the gameplay loop this idea of, of going out and salvaging these ships and getting into a rhythm with it did you find that you were able to to get a i mean it sounds like you weren't able to get a rhythm to this game given how often you kind of stopped and, and started what what was kind of keeping you from that so i i would say my biggest problem with this game is being in space is that the movement of yourself and everything else is, for lack of a better word, very floaty. Um, and it just, I understand that's the point. I understand that you're supposed, it's supposed to be floaty and you're supposed to be, you know, controlling with the thrusters and hey, you're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to die because you're just, you know, reconstituted and, and so on and so forth. But it just, it was, it was frustrating to me. It was just way more frustrating than it was immersive. Um, I felt like I was spending way more time fine-tuning my positioning to, you know, uh, thrust these pieces, you know, these giant pieces of nanocarbon into the processor than I was, like, focusing on the game um, and, and focusing on, you know, just, like, cutting in the right spots and taking things apart and, you know, doing my job, which I guess, you know, moving around and positioning yourself is part of the job. But like, ultimately, it just, it was frustrating. And I know that's something that if you just like, I'm sure there are people that you put, you know, 30, 40 hours into this game that, you know, movement wise, it doesn't bother them. They're so fine tuned with it. I'd actually be really interested to see like somebody who just only plays this game, how they maneuver and what they do. Um, but it, it just was frustrating as all hell trying to deal with the movement of the game. Um, I, not necessarily moving the pieces to the correct processing you know, spot or the right pile or whatever, but just simply the player movement was frustrating and floaty and just kept taking me away from it. Because I'd be like, I don't want to fucking deal with this. Like, I have so many other things I'd rather be doing. Like, I'd rather play League. I'd rather do this. I'd rather do that. And it, it simply the movement mechanics of the game were what, after 15, 20 minutes of me being like, okay, well, I got to fucking, you know, twirl back upright again. And then that ultimately is what soured me on the game and was like, I don't want to play this anymore. Um, does that mean I'll never play the game? Probably not. I'll probably at some point boot it back up after I've sort of forgotten that and um, you know, I'll push through it at that time because I'll be like, well, I haven't played the game in six months. Like, I got to give it some time and maybe it'll suck me back in because I did enjoy the work. 
I did enjoy finding the right place to cut and pulling everything apart and sorting things into the right spots that they're supposed to go. That was fun and enjoyable to me. The very few instances that I interact with with the other cutters and, and the trainer and that sort of stuff, I really enjoyed the characters when I, you know, the few times I talked to them. But simply the movement mechanics were enough to get me to back out of the game, close it out, and, and go do something else with my time. Well, that's a hard one to fix, right? Because if you're not enjoying the literal way in which you're meant to interact with the environment, you can't really overlook that necessarily, right? That's why movement's such an important part of any game. It's just the ability to make sure that the player feels like they understand how it works and can engage with it in a way that feels either... I don't want to say satisfying purely because there are games in which, like, you look at a co-op, right? And a co-op is is famously uh about how terribly it feels uh to to just, like manage those controls but that's built into the the challenge of it this just sounds kind of like a uh constant nuisance holding things back um now one of the things i have heard about this game from having watched yahtzee's review of it is that it's a uh potential like podcast game right where you know you kind of get into a zone on things put on a podcast and listen to that while you're you're going through these steps and and therefore kind of can get into to more of a zone there it doesn't sound like that would have helped you in this spot what would have helped you if there's anything that could have gotten this game to something that you could stick with is there anything beyond just changing the way that movement works that could have kept you back in so i think part of the problem was that i stopped playing it and then tried to go back to it i i really think ultimately that that is the problem is that i went to another you know i, I don't want to say dad game but another one of those simulator like you know I, I went to minecraft and minecraft it's really simple but minecraft is all about doing a checklist that you create yourself if you want to build a barn and collect a bunch of animals, that's your checklist. It's, you know, build the barn, build the, the areas that you're going to store the animals, so on and so forth. If it's that you actually want to progress through the story, it's, you know, find diamond, go to the nether, so on and so forth. It, it's doing all of those things. And I think going from the very simple, you know, concept of Minecraft and the very simple way to move around is like, okay, hey, if you want to go to that point, you have to, like, build yourself a little, you know, staircase or platform out of out of dirt or whatever, and then trying to go back to this game that I, I'm i not going to say, like, it's not that the... There's a reason the movement was created that way. You are in space. You are floating there. You have no tether. You have no scaffolding. You have nothing like that. So the movement makes sense for the game, for the challenge of the game, for trying to immerse you into what you're supposed to be doing. The problem was, is that I tried to go back to that after playing something with very simple, straightforward movement mechanics, and then just got frustrated. And not because it's bad design. I actually think that the movement is really, really well designed. I think how it makes you use both your, both your analog sticks and how it makes you use different buttons to, you know, use the thrusters to straighten your, you know, to tilt you on the, on, um, I think like the Z axis, like all of that stuff makes a lot of sense. And it's really, really, really designed well. It is intuitive. 
but it's so intuitive and it works so well that it's down to like the width of a hair of how well you can move. And just for me at this moment in time, it was frustrating and made me not want to play the game again. Doesn't mean it's a bad game. Doesn't mean that, you know, I wish I could push through it so I could get to the plot because I've read what the plot kind of goes into. And I think I would really love that story. But just for me, over the past month of trying to push my way through it, I can't get past the block that's in my head regarding the movement. Um, going to, you know, talking about it's a podcast game. It absolutely is a podcast. I had streams and YouTube videos and everything else running in the background while I was playing the game. And there is something very cathartic and very fun about taking apart this ship and putting everything into the place that it's supposed to go and just sort of zenning out. I think I really wanted that, you know, that gameplay loop as I was playing the game and when I originally, you know, picked the game. I'll be honest, like, uh, Humble Bundle had Power Wash Simulator in it. I'm probably going to play Power Wash Simulator at some point. Maybe not for the podcast, but I kind of still have that urge to, like, play that kind of game. Um, it's just, I, I can't get past the movement mechanics how I sit here today. That's fair, you know? And, and this is where... I think we always get into the difference between a game not being for you and a game not being for everyone, right? Like, it seems like you understand that this is a decision that was made from a design perspective that has its value, that it didn't click with you, and that it means that you're, you're going towards uh, games that are clicking with you. And I don't see any negative in that, you know? Um, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see if you do ever find... Uh, a time back to it but i also think that there are a lot of games in that genre as you've said power wash simulator uh comes to mind uh which is one i've seen rt gameplay a bit um and and certainly seems to be getting a lot of streamer attention recently so i'll be curious to see if if that one clicks with you maybe a little bit more um i guess any final thoughts you recommend to people who maybe uh wouldn't be hung up on that element I, I still would recommend the game. Um, I don't know if I'd recommend it at $35, which is what it's on uh, on Steam for right now. But if you see that it's on sale someplace or you, you get it through a Humble Bundle or something like that, like, I think it's definitely worth a try. I think it's definitely worth, you know, playing the game. And there is a level of difficulty settings where, you know, if you didn't want to deal with the fuel and oxygen mechanic, there's like a super easy mode that you could set it on and you can just, you know tear the ships apart and all that jazz. There are way more difficult levels where it's like you only have a certain amount of time, your fuel and your oxygen deplete, you know, quicker, so on and so forth. There is all of that to this game. Um, like I said, if it's on sale, if you can get it, you know, less than $35, I think it's definitely worth a try. Um, if, you know, that sort of dad simulator kind of thing gets your, you know, gets your uh, juices flowing. Um, but like I said, just... For me today, with what I'm looking for out of a game, I, I just don't want to play it anymore. And that doesn't make it a bad game. It just makes it the wrong game for me here today. But Chase, as you stated earlier, you've still been playing through Three Hopes. So we're not going to talk about that game again. But what are we going to talk about? Well, you know, it's a wonderful time of the year, Walter. Uh, the playoffs 
for uh, in League of Legends. The summer playoffs are in full swing all across the world. Um, we have Worlds coming up shortly, and you know, for those of you who listen to our Final Cut podcast, you'll know that uh, Players is our next episode. So esports on the brain, as it tends to be for me, right? Having spent a career working in the esports industry for better and for worse, and for worse. Um, but I've got a game for you, Walter. Um, yeah, you know football manager, right? Like yes, the, I do. The, the football manager games. Yep. Have you ever thought to yourself, wouldn't it be fun if there was a League of Legends version of this? I would absolutely love to play a League of Legends manager simulator that's all about Excel spreadsheets. That actually sounds really fun. I, I think I would greatly enjoy that. Because then I could prove that I could build TSM better than Reginald has. Well, I I can't say that I've built TSM, but I have built Team Dubious Merit, TDM, and they're uh, they're doing all right in my league. Um, yeah, the this game exists. Good news. Uh, it's called Team Fight Manager, and it's really good. Um, Team Fight Manager is kind of your, uh, you know, they made sure to make the characters all generic enough so that no, no copyright infringement is in play here. It is uh, based on the imaginary game Teamfight Arena, in which it is explained at the beginning that you, the player character here, uh, were at one point the best player in the world. You won 10 world championships in a row, Walter. And then you decide, you know what? I've done everything I can. I'm going to become a coach. And then you coached 10 world championship teams in a row. But you're still not sure about your legacy. So you're going all the way back to the lowest level of amateur play, and you're going to coach a team up to becoming world champions from there to prove how amazing you really are, because apparently 20 world championships wasn't enough for you to do it. Um, so you've got your, your different character types. You've got your assassins, your mages, your marksmen, your support, and your warriors. Um, you know, these can be things like, uh, for the assassins, you've got clown, which is a very, like, Shaco type that's laying traps and, and trying to backstab people. Uh, you have Ghost, which is your hyperscaler that just gets more attack speed and does more damage the more enemies it kills. So if you stop it early, it's useless, but if it gets going, it could become the most terrifying thing on the board. You've got your mages with your AoE damage, like a lightning mage or a pyromancer, um, but you've also got some utility mages, like an ice mage that are good at slowing people down. You've got your marksmen, your, your, your various different ways of... of AD carry types, your snipers, which are much more like a Caitlyn type, but you've also got things like the gambler, which really just lets RN Jesus take the wheel in a way that that is evocative there. And, you know, throughout all of them, you know, go down to the supports where you have the shrine maiden that can both heal and hurt, has very like karma energy there, or the priestess, it's your pure Soraka type, or the warriors, like a berserker that just gets big and beefy and starts smashing things with his double axes whenever he gets the chance, or the fighter, who's a very Lee Sin type, kiting people around. These are just some of the many champions that you will unlock over the course of the game. Um, and you have to build up these players, a team that, you know, for at the start of the game, it is a uh, 2v2 match, and then it expands to 3v3, and then 4v4, uh, which is where it ultimately ends. Um, and you have to uh, go through, you make your players, you tell them what to train in, uh, you help them develop uh, better traits, uh, things that can give you situational advantages. Um, you handle the pick and ban phase and, and draft your, your characters. 
And then you watch them fight against the enemy team for one minute. And it is 60 seconds of uh, the AI based on, on the strengths that you have and the characters that you've drafted and the strategies that you have told them to use uh, in terms of what their spacing should be, how they should be using their ultimates, and whether they should be trying to... Um, you know, spread them out, save them for the last half of the match, however you want to customize it based on the composition, uh, and try to win the day. Obviously, at the start, you're going to have a lot fewer of those upgrades, a lot fewer uh, points to put into training different things, but the stronger you get, the better you'll be able, you know, the more money you get, more you'll be able to invest in improving your facility, improving the way you're able to practice. And yeah, you b build up your own esports org from the lowest level of amateur all the way into world champions. That's a that's a fun pitch, right? I would say it's a fun pitch, yeah. But Chase, I, I'm looking at the screen grabs for this game. Um, I don't see an Excel spreadsheet here. I see a lot of pixel art. So how is this different from Football Manager? Well, I'll say this. Uh, if you want to see the Excel spreadsheet, Walter, I'll send you the one that I made. Because uh, I have a very extensive spreadsheet for Pick and Band for these characters, because of course I do. But yeah, look, the, the fight all happens. Um, like, like when you're at the main screen, you have the gaming house. And so you see the gaming house and all your players are hanging out and they're doing things around the house and, and practicing and, and training and, and, you know, just, you know, sleeping, whatever they, they're, they're up to while you're setting up the gameplay details. Um, as you go through, uh, you have the ability to look at a whole bunch of different kind of spreadsheets that have stats in there for you. Like, for example, you can go into the champion statistics and you'll get the, you know, champion win rate on, the, on this patch and how often they were picked, how often they were banned, what's the KDA, damage taken, damage dealt, recovery. Um, you can look at all of these different stats uh, both for the current patch and for the whole season, if you want to blow it up a little bit more than that. You get team statistics, where you could go through and see what every team's stats are, uh, what their most picked champions are, what their most banned champions are, um, and can kind of adjust your strategies accordingly. You've got a ranking list, which will go through, uh, you know, the personal standings for the league, as well as, uh, like, who has the most kills and who has the most assists. Um, and of course, there's a, a schedule for you to look through uh, champion information. You can go through each character that exists in the game and look at what their base stats are, what their skill is, and what their ultimate does. Um, so there's a lot of that granular information that you would expect from a management game. Um, but the two differences that really stand out, number one, because this is a game that is simulating MOBAs, they do indeed have pixel art. So when I say you watch that 60 seconds of gameplay, I mean you watch that 60 seconds of gameplay. You see these characters interacting with each other, using their skills. You watch the health bars drain, and you, you see the abilities come down and how the ultimates interact off of things. And you get to watch and have that, like, if you've ever enjoyed watching an esports match, you understand the tension that comes from watching your favorite team go up in a game and not knowing if they're going to be able to pull it out. Um, you know, we're, oh my God, we're down uh, 10 kills. And in this game, the only metric that determines whether you win is how many kills are at the end. It's a pure battle arena uh, system. So whichever team has more kills gets the win. 
So you'll watch like, oh my god, I'm going down in kills, but I saved my ultimates for the second half of the fight, so they're all going through now, and oh, we're sneaking up right at the end there. Oh, it's like, like that excitement is, is there, and you're seeing it, and you're getting the pixel art of it, so it feels real rather than just like some dots on a screen, which really does go a long way. The animation's pretty good. It does everything that it needs to do, and it, it draws you in and keeps you going to that next match because you want to see how these things will play out. Um, the other thing that makes it different is that unlike in a traditional sports simulator, right, where you would be focused purely on roster management and in growing up the skills and making sure that, like, maybe making some in-game strategic adjustments, but otherwise, like, you know, soccer is soccer. Football is football. It's not going to change like, for example, patch to patch, this game does. You get patch notes halfway through the season. If you play on some of the like higher levels of uh, patch frequency, uh, you get it every quarter of the way through the season. So that's four patches over the course of a single year that you have to adjust to. And you can change how much of an effect those patch changes have. So you can have it where like the devs are very conservative and make very small changes to make sure that Things stay about as close to balance as possible. Or you can tell them to say fuck it and go ham and the changes are crazy and a character that goes from being completely broken can be completely useless because they cut their attack speed in half. Ah, the juggernaut patch. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so, So those are the two big things that really make it different and they're the things that allow this to shine in a way that any esports fan is really going to appreciate. Um, because it would be boring to have a game about managing gamers and not see the game those gamers are playing and it would be a shame if you didn't get to have that experience of constantly needing to adjust when new characters enter the game who are that are super powerful and probably broken uh when they enter and some characters are just straight up better than others and you have to adjust your strategy until those patches come in and and some of them it's like oh well that kit like they're gonna need five buffs in a row for them to be useful while some champions, you could hard nerf several of their stats, and they're still really good. Zeri! <coughs> because that information's always there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a League of Legends player, I know you can't relate because the balance has been so immaculate. But it's um, been it's been fucking perfect. They've never fucked anything up. It's it's such a wonderful game, uh, and you know, it's nice to hear that you actually can have some. Um, degree of impact on how things affect the larger game as a whole versus just your individual team um is that something you can is that something you can manipulate to cheat (laughs) and to like if you're getting ready to play against a certain team and you see that they're really good at specific things could you in some way like force those things all to become really, really bad and sort of cheese a win or two here and there uh, by by adjusting how, like, the balance of the game works. Oh, so this is good. I'm glad you asked that question because I should clarify here. You don't determine what changes are made. You gotcha. don't even get to determine when a patch comes through outside of at the very beginning of the campaign. You can pick certain settings. Once you've played the first round, and, and like, I think at the first, it has very standard... So it's like a standard number of patches, which means you get two patches a season and a standard level of frequency. And so like like the changes made are pretty moderate in general. Um, But at the beginning of the season, you can like change like, okay, uh, or I should say the beginning of the campaign, you can change how often they patch 
and how big those patches are when they happen. But you have no control over the specific patches. And so sometimes you'll be four weeks into a season, you'll be 4-0, and and you'll be like, oh, this is going amazing. I have the best sniper player in the league, and sniper's incredible. This is going to be easy. And then they just take a gun to sniper's kneecaps, and you're like, well, sniper's unplayable now. What the fuck do I do? Because um, I can't... I, I've built my entire strategy around this composition that my team cannot run anymore without being straight trash. Like, do you keep going with the things that your players are good at? Do you stay with those comfort picks? Because your players do get a stat bonus for playing their mains. And so there's an advantage to playing a character that you're comfortable with and not playing off-roll or off-meta from, like, what your character is known for. But on the other hand, the meta exists for a reason, right? There's a reason that certain champs have a higher win rate and that other teams will start focusing in on those champs. So if you're not playing them and you're not banning them, you better have an idea as to how to beat them because otherwise, you know, as anyone who has left Zeri or Sivir up over the last couple of weeks knows very well, <laughs> life is a lot less fun when you let the power picks through and don't have an answer to them. So... You have to balance this idea of, like, do I play to my team strengths? Do I play to what the meta says is best? Like, what am I willing to sacrifice here? Um, and if there's one thing I really wish the game did better, it, was, it would be in giving you the ability to pivot uh, which characters your players main, essentially. You're given four. Every character can specialize in four characters, and you can train up each of those individual character specialties over time. So, for example, I've got uh, an assassin player named Reyna on my team. And Reyna's really great because uh, she gets bonus attack every time she kills an enemy. She gets attack speed uh, and she gets defense penetration. So, of course, I made her focus on assassins. So she's got the executioner, the vampire, the ghost, and the clown. All of them she's got a mastery level on, but the executioner is by far her best. So when the executioner's great... Reyna just plays Executioner every game, and unless she's banned, she's going to be a monster. Um, but, you know, if like Vampire, Ghost, Clown, I'm feeling great about those picks. But if Ninja is in the meta, or Devil is in the meta, then I don't get any of the mastery boost that, um, that those characters would offer based on what I've specialized Reyna in. So it's like, okay, well, you know, Clown's not good right now, so let me maybe take out the Clown Mastery, and I'd like to have them focus on Ninja instead. And the game goes, no, that's not how that works. How this works is you choose what role you want to learn a character in, and the game will randomly decide which one your character has mastered in that role. Which doesn't really feel like how coaching works for me. As someone who coached a team previously, and who really likes the way that the game breaks down a lot of these details... It does seem a little bit silly um, that you're unable to tell a player, hey, I want you to learn X character, uh, which becomes a big problem when you get to the classes like the warrior class, where there are like eight or ten different options, depending on whether you have, uh, you're playing on the original version or the latest update, and you don't want players who both main the same character, because... They're obviously like, like that's overlap that doesn't help you in the long run. So if you're re-rolling and you don't know whether you're going to get the one that you want, you're just going to spend a lot of gold and waste a lot of time. 
And that gold's important because gold is what upgrades your facilities. Gold's what makes sure you can sign new players when you go to sign and improve the players you already have. And gold is really important for paying for the players to stick around because the better they get, the higher their renewal fees are at the end of the year. And you have to make sure you have enough money to cover those costs. So that's a little frustrating that you can't focus in on that specific thing. And there are a couple other things with training that like, given that I'm meant to manage the team very directly, it's weird that they make certain aspects of it random rather than being able to go out and get what you want. I feel like, you know, if they were to make a, a team fight manager too, uh, I think that would be something where I would like to see more tools available for um, customizing those elements. But overall, the amount of, of like tweaking you can make and just going through and looking at all the stats and figuring out, okay, well, what's popular? Well, let me look at the, the win rates and put these things in and see which characters my uh, champions, uh, what, what characters my players main. Oh, I'm really good at this character, so I know I'm playing this character off the bench. And, oh, mages suck right now? Well, I guess my mage specialist is staying on the bench so I could focus on a double warrior assassin support comp or a double, warrior, double marksman comp. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. So there's a lot of, of, of things that work really well here and a few things where I just wish it was a little bit more specific in how it let you customize things. But the overall result is everything that you want it to be. So, so that's what you would add to the game is more customization. I, I think you touched on it real quickly there. Like the, the players that you have on, on your team, they could change from season to season, correct? Yeah, I, I can release players at any time. I can go recruit players at any time. Um, you can only have six players on a roster heading into the season, but if you want to recruit players for like a secondary squad so that you have those players to develop talent over time, you're welcome to do so. Um, so you, and you know, if you decide someone's not worth the uh, the amount of money that you'd have to pay to renew them at the end of the season. Um, you can let them go. You can fire them and, and replace them with somebody else. Um, traditionally, uh, this is very age-driven, you know? Um, when you get to the highest level of um, recruiting, you can get these kind of 17-year-old phenoms. But early on, you have a choice of like, do I want a character who is younger and has higher upside, but they're going to take time to train and we're probably going to be a little weak at the early part of the season? Or do we want some veterans who we can know are going to come in and are going to be able to do the things that we need them to do, but don't have nearly as much upside and are in fact possible to downgrade uh, over the next couple of years um, once they've had uh, kind of more uh, experience under their belt and aren't quite as quick on the draw as they used to be, um, which does tend to have a pretty clear curve, I would say, like, after 21 players start to get worse and after about 19 players start to kind of plateau. Um, so there's that constant churning, right? Eventually you're going to want to replace the, the veterans on your squad that you trained up from these young rookies into stars, let them go, get the new players to come in that you've been training. And if you have the money to do it, you can start that training process right away and really get those young players so that they can jump in minute one and take over that spot 
Um, but you build up to that, right? Like at first you're just recruiting the players who you can and making the most out of their limited skill set and adjusting to a meta that is a lot um, maybe easier to solve early on when it's the 2v2, um, which the game does let you kind of skip in future runs. When you're customizing things, you can say, hey, I want to just go straight to the 4v4 because that's the part of the game I find more fun, um, which I tend to do um, because two-player gets solved real quick. Um, it's called Take Lee Sin, uh, the fighter, and that's it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's really fun. There's, there's a lot, um, there's a lot to unpack, uh, and there's a lot to delve into. And it's a game that's kept my attention for over a hundred hours over time and across many different runs. And I'll, I'll share some of this, uh, with, uh, in, in the comments here where you can see me track, like which compositions, uh, came together as winning compositions and, uh, you know, pick count versus win percentage uh, versus uh, player masteries and whether they were buffed or nerfed on the previous patch and what I would expect that to mean when it comes to um, uh, kind of future patch changes and, and making those predictions. You feel really smart when you get a good read on the meta and jump on people and you have, uh, you get really frustrated when you feel like you've uh, had a, a, a strategy that worked out really well, and then suddenly the counter becomes meta, and you have to make you have to find the counter to the counter before you fall too far in the standings, which is everything you want from a game like this. So what Chase is saying is that this is a really, really shallow game. Um, you should <laughs> expect to beat it really, really easily. It's really, really such an easy game, and uh, yeah, you're just gonna blow through it. Uh, Chase, I mean, do you? You put so much time into it. You put so much effort into it. Is this a game you think would anyone would enjoy, or do you think it takes kind of a specific, a specific desire from a game to actually enjoy this? You know, I would say in general, right? Like any simulation game, um, the thing that's going to determine how interested you are is how much you enjoy what's being simulated. I'm a huge esports guy. I love League of Legends. I've loved it for a long time. So a game in which I got to run an esports team was always going to have some value for me. Um, I think the art style is great. I think the it, it gave me all of the tools that I needed. And I really loved going in and making the kind of spreadsheets I used to make when I was a coach. Like, I loved that. I thought it was great. Um, I, I think if you're not an esports fan, if you're not someone who thinks professional video gaming is particularly interesting, I don't know how much this game's going to change your mind because it's a lot of work to understand, you know, like we've, you've done this esports thing with me for a while now, Walter, you know how much a patch change can uh, upend what you think about a team and, and how teams kind of grow and change over time and keeping up with all that. If, if you're not interested in that ebb and flow, I don't know what the gameplay has for you, but I, I don't think anyone who isn't interested in it is going to buy a game called Team Fight Manager. It's very clear exactly what it is, and if you've been waiting for a, a game to let you simulate running your own esports team, this is the best one out there right now. I think it's by far the most polished of any of them out there right now. I think there have been some improvements made since the game first came out, some patches that added some more characters, uh, those customization options when you beat the game for the first time, the new game plus, 
uh, really open the game up. And I think that's when it goes from good to great. Um, because when it's medium frequency of patches and the patches aren't too big, I, I will say I, I felt like I could figure out the meta and build kind of a, a super team pretty quick. But once things started adapting very quickly mid-season, uh, because I upped the frequency and upped the degree to which things changed, it became much more difficult and much more interesting to try to sort through. And if nothing else, man, uh, I love that all of the players are very... Um, there are so many references in this. Um, you know, I have my my team definitely not sooning uh, with Sven Skarin and Viper and Stanley and Poe Belter and Perks <laughs> on it, and it's great. And that's all I needed. It's really, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm looking at the screenshots here, and I see... Uh... A lot of familiar names from uh, from my uh, esports uh, esports knowledge here. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad you had a lot of fun with it. It does. It seems like a game that's like right up your alley. And despite the fact that the Excel spreadsheets are not physically in the game, uh, I can always count on you to uh, to go above and beyond and uh, and and make them exist. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'll. Uh... I'll share those with you now, but I'll I'll share with everyone else in the comments. Um, but yeah, I, I hope you guys enjoy it if you go check it out. And I hope you enjoyed uh, the episode. Um, this is, uh, as always, uh, it's really fun to get to, to uh, see what, uh, what Walter has been up to gaming-wise. And I'd love to hear what y'all are up to gaming-wise, which you can find me at Chase Wasson or on Twitter. Where can the nice people at home find you, Walter? Uh, you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Uh, you know, t- tell me what, if you could pick four players from LOL history, from League of Legends history, what four would you choose to be on your squad? Uh, you guys can also tweet that at Rough Drafts Pod over on the Twitter as well. And, uh, you know, while you're here listening to uh, the uh, Steam Cleaners podcast on your favorite podcast uh, provider of choice, go ahead and give us a follow, whether you're here on the uh, Steam Cleaners feed itself or the main Rough Drafts feed. And, you know, since Chase already mentioned it uh, next week on Final Cut, we are doing players, the Paramount uh, Plus uh, uh, series about uh, about a fictional LCS team and the trials and tribulations that they go through on their way to the uh, to potentially winning an LCS championship. Uh, so check that out on Final Cut. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to see uh, to see what game both Chase and I choose to play uh, next time. Absolutely, I and I promise it will be a game that I have actually played within the two weeks when we talk about it, because I am, I am wrapping up three hopes. I will emerge on the other side with uh, a game that I'm uh, very excited, a, a cult-like following, one might say, for the game that I'm getting into next. So uh, until then, goodbye, Internet.